is Totally 80s, the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. So, turn up your Walkman, loosen that scrunchie, and get ready to talk 80s with your host, Lindsay Parker. Hi, I'm Lindsay Parker from Yahoo Entertainment, and welcome to another episode of Totally 80s. We love hearing from you, so why not take a second to follow us at Totally 80s on Facebook and Instagram, or email us your comments and show ideas at podcast at totally80s.com. So today's subject is teen idols, and we are going back to a magical time when the scent of electric youth was wafting in the air, a time when, seemingly out of the blue, a bunch of young, fresh faces took over the airwaves and pop culture in general. And I cannot think of a better guest to join me for this topic, I think you know where I'm going with this, than the woman who 35 years ago set the record that she still holds to this day as the youngest female artist to write, produce, and perform a Billboard Hot 100 number one single, which is a feat she accomplished at the tender age of 17 with Foolish Beat. Her career is still going strong today. She recently released her first pop album in 20 years, The Body Remembers. And I'm telling you, my body sure remembers a lot of awesome stuff that happened in the 80s, thanks to this woman and her peers. So without further ado, please welcome to the show, the queen of the teens, the teen dream, the teen queen, the queen of the scene, Ms. Debbie Gibson. Hi, I love that. The queen of the scene. Yeah, you really were. And I mean, your name has come up on the show before uh, you you Instagram or tweeted about this. When we did the best songwriters of the 80s panel, which was with two modern day hit makers, Sam Hollander and Justin Tranter, who write songs for Pag at the Disco and Selena Gomez and Justin Bieber and everybody. I asked them who were their songwriting idols when they were first, you know, considering that career. And they both invoked your name they both mentioned you i heard it i saw it i was like floored because and you and i've talked about this you know it's it's like people have different perceptions of me and sometimes i get my props and sometimes i don't and i've learned to not care about that so when i do get props like that from people i love and respect because i live in a modern music world i i know and love their songs and that was really meaningful to me Wow. It's, I mean, I know that you guys kind of connected you and Sam recently. Yes, Sam and I had lunch in Vegas. It was amazing. I feel like Totally 80s sort of put that together, a little bit of a matchmaker situation. So I'm proud to have been able to totally. do that. So let's set the scene. As I was talking about when you were coming up with Foolish Beat, with Out of the Blue, with Electric Youth, which is about to turn 35. You were at the head of the scene, the queen of the scene, as I put it. There was New Kids on the Block as well, obviously Tiffany, New Edition. And Teen Idols, I mean, it's nothing new. We've had Teen Idols since the 50s with Bobby Soxers, the 60s, the 70s had David Cassidy and Leif Gare and all that. But my recollection from the 80s is the idols that were called Teen Idols weren't actually usually teens. Like my quote unquote boy band, my Teen Idol band was Duran Duran. And they were all guys in their 20s. They were, you know, so you were a teen and the people I just mentioned were teens. So I kind of feel like you and some of the names I just mentioned kind of set the template for what totally happened later in the 90s and the aughts with TRL and Britney and Christina Aguilera and of course Backstreet Boys and stuff like of having teens listening to music by artists their own age like that we take that for granted now now it's all about Billie Eilish it's about Olivia Rodrigo do you feel like you kind of changed the game in that way I mean here's what's so interesting I recently saw an honor bestowed on Taylor Swift by Phoebe Bridgers and she was saying like 
the idea of a young girl just simply writing about her life and where she was, you know, speaking of Taylor, was kind of revolutionary at that time. And I do think, you know, every generation has their teen idols. And look, you know, before me, we had Carol King and we had Carly Simon and all these amazing female singer songwriters that were very young. Yeah, yeah. Leslie Gore, who was not known for writing, but she, I remember being on the couch on Good Morning America with Leslie Gore going, holy crap, this is Leslie Gore. You're Leslie Gore. Like you did, it's my party. I can't. And I always had a sense of that history. I never think, oh, I did this first. You know, I always mm. came before me. You look at the Osmonds. And again, it's, it's, we're talking idols today, not necessarily songwriters. And so I think that every generation oils the machine for the net. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. It's kind of like the gears get going and then at some point it drops off and there are no teens again. There's a backlash inevitably, but I do think now there's not going to be a backlash. I think it's like, oh, Teens are artists, whether they're teens, whether they're 50, whether they're, I think it's a little bit more ageless now, which is great news on all ends of the age spectrum. Yeah. I do think back then there was a unique resurgence. And here's what's interesting. It's like, I was always going to be me and be trying for that record deal. And Tiffany was simultaneously doing it and New Kids was simultaneously doing it. So it was like the universe just went it's teen idol time, everybody. <laughs> and we all, we all emerged, but we all had a very different and difficult road to getting heard, getting respected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I never know if, I don't know if we quite ever fully got respected. I mean, I've never won a Grammy. I was never even nominated for Grammy. I mean, I think you have, and I definitely want to get into a little bit more about that perception change, but yeah, it is surprising. I mean, the first time I ever interviewed you was at the Grammy museum yep. where it was a sold out house of admirers and you know you were being honored for your career but you're right you did not ever get nominated for grammy i'm pretty sure new kids have not new edition i don't even think have yeah i mean but we were pretty much discounted <laughs> we were counted out, like we were not in the real music world even though we were selling more like you know i mean the ascap songwriter of the year award was based solely on who got the most airplay that year? Who sold the most records? And I tied with Springsteen when, uh, the year really? that I won. Yeah. Like the people spoke, you know, my manager even now says, she goes, you're like the people's pop princess. You're not, I was never the critic's darling or the award show darling. Well, you're our darling. You're totally 80s darling. And hey, I do, I'll I, take it. I do want to argue that I think at this point, just if for no other reason, the staying power of yourself, of, New Kids on the Block, who when they do the mixtape tour, which you did in 2019 with them, it's like literally one of the biggest tours of the year. Yes, they sell over a half a million tickets every other year. I mean, name me an act that does that consistently. There's When they made their resurgence with that album they did with Dirty Dancing and Sexify My Love and all those great songs, they were back, you know, and they they, they reinvented themselves and created a place for themselves in the touring landscape. And yeah, mm-hmm. they had such staying power. Also, I do think there's a loyalty because I was talking about how some of the quote unquote teen idols of the 80s that I looked up to were not teens themselves. So it was kind of aspirational. But let's face it, like the guys at Duran Duran were not going to date me as a middle schooler or whatever. I was not going to hang out with them, be friends with them. But people like yourself, like New Kids, like Tiffany, like the Jets like Menudo. We'll talk about all these artists. By the way, I was in 
school with all of them backstage at like solid gold and bandstand. Like that's how I met. Really? Well, hold on. Let me hold my thought for a second because I need to get a visual of what it was like to be going to solid gold school. Yeah. So it was like the two hours or whatever you had to sit in this classroom with a teacher backstage on the day you're filming solid gold. But I remember in particular, like me and the Jets had a day together and then we performed together again, like five years ago or something. And again, like they're out there doing their thing. It was amazing. And we were all fans of each other. So Glenn Medeiros, nothing's going to change my love. I mean, his daughter's on American Idol right now, Lyric Medeiros. She oh, just, I love she just that. Actually, since we're talking about TV shows, I just mentioned American Idol. I want to know if you ever went on or considered going on what I consider to be the original American Idol, which was Star Search, which ran from 1980, 1995. Because let me just rattle off real quick a list of people, all teen idols, who between 1983 and 1995 went on this show. I don't think any of these people actually won, but they won at life because they ended up having a big career. Some of them. Tiffany was on it. Britney Spears, Justin Timberlake, Alanis Morissette, who actually started off as a teen idol in Canada. A lot of people don't really know that. Aaliyah. Christina Aguilera, Usher, Leon Rhymes, the Backstreet Boys, Destiny's Child, who were called something else at the time, and they lost to a band called Skeleton Crew. And how I know this knowledge, why this is in my head, I don't know, but it, it's there. You mentioned Shanice's. Now, Shanice went on it as a kid. Pimple went on it. This was the school. This was the team school right here. You're going to love my story so much. I'm overlapping you with enthusiasm. because no, you- I love it. And by the way, underdogs out there, you're going to love my story. I auditioned for Star Search quite literally 10 times and didn't get on. Holy cow. Are you serious? I auditioned with covers. I remember doing Where the Boys Are. I remember I did my songs. I did Only in My Dreams before it ever came out. I was told my songs would never be hits. I was told my voice was to this or that or not, whatever, whatever all the things were. I did not even get on to the show. That's crazy. It's crazy. But that's the thing. Like, I always was a quirk, I think, like a quirkier artist. And I remember Gwen Stefani saying, like, if she was on The Voice as a contestant, she didn't think she'd get through. Like, there are certain artists that are about their tone and about their vibe and about their songwriting, but not necessarily like the slickest contest winning vocalist. This is like a whole, I mean, some of my favorite artists and singers of the 80s. Let's face it, and I mean this with no shade, but like Robert Smith wouldn't get on The Voice. Richard Butler from The Psychedelic Furs. Simon Le Bon probably wouldn't. Like Madonna, I would not. Cyndi Lauper, a great singer, but definitely a very certain vibe. Well, that's what I was about to say. People who are a vibe aren't necessarily that competition winning. And, And my nerves always get me like, and again, listen, I've learned to accept they make my performances interesting because I'm an adrenaline girl. Like my adrenaline is not always my friend. So some people have incredible control. That was me for like a, a period of time in a bubble when I did a lot of Broadway and I lived and breathed for having that control and hitting those notes. But it's not sustainable if you want to have any semblance of a life. And at a certain point, I went, I'm going to lean into what's unique about me as an artist and not worry about being that slick vocalist, because that's not what I was put on this earth to do. There's people who do better, like the 15 artists you just made. Well, no, obviously leaning into your specific vibe and what you do best worked out for you. It worked out for you in the 80s. It's worked out for you since. But you talked about how you had so, you and your peers had so many 
obstacles to overcome to get to where you are now. And and apparently one of them was that these people at Star Search were idiots. And that was one thing. <laughs> but you know, all artists, including yourself, face a lot of rejection. So what of the obstacles I want to talk to you about is I mentioned that now, and you did as well, that now it's kind of like very commonplace. And all of the labels, the promotional machines will hype up the fact like this person's only 15, they're only 17, they're mm-hmm. only 13. But my understanding is that was not considered really a selling point for at least for you when you came up. They were trying to like make you seem older, like you were 25, oh, yeah, 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 17 yeah. going on 25. What was up with that? Yeah, I mean, my pouty cover of Only in My Dreams, I think I look 40. <laughs> like, like something about my energy is like, who, because they were sneaking me into clubs to perform. My mom was crazy enough to, uh, to, to sneak me in and, and nobody was asking my age, nobody cared, but it was absolutely a detriment and not a selling point. The labels were like, what do we do with a 15 year old girl? What do we do with a 16 year old girl? Did they not realize the relatability? Cause a, a kind of half finished thought I had was that you can aspire to want to be friends with Duran Duran or, you know, Madonna, people in their 20s when you're a kid and they seem far away and unattainable. But you could imagine as a kid hanging out with Debbie Gibson, who's around the same age as you, dating Joey McIntyre, who's around the same age as you. You know, it's like then the record labels realize that playing up the fact that you were the same age as your potential fans is marketing gold, really. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, the fans eventually let the labels know that and and kind of guided them. But like at the time, it was still a very male, older male dominated world, even in terms of like, if there was a young girl, it was older men writing their songs. They were like, what do you mean you can write your own songs, kid, girl? (laughs) So we did have to break that ground. It seems insane now, but they just simply didn't understand the world. Can we talk a little bit about your fashion? I think when you say you looked 40 in that picture, it was really just because of the hair. But once you obviously took some ownership of your teen image, as you know, you proved that you were very successful. Like, I got to talk about the hat. You're wearing a hat today. It's not the hat. No, but I've always been a hat girl. Like from the time I was, I actually took a toilet paper roll like as a two-year-old and put it on my head and made it a hat. That's how obsessed that's hats I've always cute. been. That's adorable. Man, it's my vibe. I feel most like me when I have a hat on. But that particular hat was given to me by Michael Damien at Z100 on the- oh, I thought you were about to say the Young and the Restless guy. And I was like, okay, oh, here's another yes. story. No, no, Wait. no. Michael Damien from the Young and the Restless. He had a single out and he was- Danny on- Romilotti gave you that hat? Yeah, he did rock on that David Essex cover. I yeah, literally did the cute girl, girly thing at the radio station. Oh my God, can I try your hat? Oh my God, I think it looks so good on me. Don't leave it lying around. And he went, keep it. And that ended up being that hat, that look. You are blowing my mind. I have watched The Young and the Restless since <laughs> I don't since he was on the show. I remember him performing Rock On, and he gave you the hat. Yeah, that's the hat story. That is amazing. What about the jean jacket thing? I mean, a lot of people associate that with Tiffany. That was kind of her signature accessory. I mean, I think all of us teenage girls had a denim jacket. So, but yeah, she was a little more, and and, and she'd tell you this too if she was here, because she and I are great friends. We were kind of like the cousins who were opposites. So she was a little bit more like, you know, downplay the theatrical image and yeah, jean jacket and kind of her rocker red hair and 
I mean, you know her voice, by the way. I just have to take a moment to say Tiffany's voice is unfreaking believable. Was then, it is now. I listened to Could Have Been the other day in my bedroom, like at night, like you do when you're a teenager. And I was like, get it, girl. Like, oh my God. I mean, she is such a naturally gifted vocalist. So wow. powerful. And and at that, even like to have that, you know, you always want, you can't have. My voice was always that pristine, bell-like, belty voice. And she had this texture that like Bonnie Raitt has, you know, she has this texture that you're born with. And I was like, how do I get that? Like, that's so cool. And her voice is so rich and thick and it still is. And she's out there doing her thing. And she had a harder road than I did in the beginning because I had my mom and she was, she had a male manager who was, you know, notoriously Svengali like. You're very lucky you didn't have that situation because of your mom. I am lucky, but you know, she's been through it and she's still here. And she also at a certain point said, I want to try to write songs, but she never had anybody encouraging her in the beginning because, you know, George Tobin, I think was writing her songs too. And, and she was doing covers, which worked out well for her. I think we're alone now feels like her song. So I mean, I, I feel like we could almost do a whole separate podcast on like how Tommy James was like a star of the 80s. Cause like there was, I think I'm alone now, there was Moni Moni, the Billy Idol cover, right. and there was right, a right, Crimson right. Clover, the Joan Jett cover. Like all of a sudden, but anyway, a lot of these teen idols were paying nods to the past, to Motown. You mentioned Carol King in that school. But I want to talk a little bit more about Tiffany because. I'm happy. I'm not surprised at all, but maybe some people would be happy and unsurprised to hear you speak so highly of her. We all know that there was no rivalry there, but the press tends to play this up and they tend to, I mean, yes, there are some male rivalries, Beatles versus Stones. There's a lot in hip hop, Tupac. They used to do Duran Duran versus Wham. Duran Duran versus Spandau Ballet in England though, because Spandau Ballet were bigger there. Ah. Yeah, there are rivalries between rappers or in the Britpop era, there was Oasis versus Blur, but it seems like hitting women against each other, whether in the 90s and 2000s, it was Britney versus Christina. In the 80s, people would compare Madonna and Cyndi Lauper as if like those two couldn't occupy. And that was a big thing with you guys. And you talk about the opposite thing. I remember people would pick camps like Team Debbie or Team Tiffany, and they'd be like, well, yeah, Tiffany, she could really, you know, she got this really big power voice, but she didn't write her own songs or play instruments. And Debbie does. It's dumb. And I mean, I guess it's a lazy journalism thing to be like, hey, here are two women around the same age, young women. There's surveys and quizzes and pick this or that soul teen magazines for sure at the time. But I used to defend her when people would say, well, she doesn't write her own songs. And I'm like, yeah, but neither does Whitney Houston. Does anyone ever bring that up? No, because some people are vocalists first. And I, again, I've always said, like, I'm a songwriter first, vocalist second. Like, that's just the way the universe made me. I don't know. So it's a great marriage when you find the great songs and the great vocalist and they come together and who cares? Like, does anyone ever stop and think when they're listening to Elton? Well, he didn't write the lyrics. Like, I don't. That's an Elton John song. Yes, I, you know, I know Bernie wrote it too, but it's like, he's now embodying it and bringing it into the world. So I was always like, shut up to that. And you use the word occupy. Yes, why can't multiple artists occupy the same space? There's like, there's a different number one song every single week. There's a hundred songs on the charts every day. There's plenty of room for everybody, you know? So I used to have the Walkman with the split headphones and me and my younger sister, Denise, used to listen to I Think We're Alone Now every time we were on an airplane taking off. This was like, right? It's very cinematic. 
So like we were fans. I was a fan, you know, and she says that to me too. And her sister had my poster on her wall. And so it was all very supportive and still is. Can I very randomly ask you about that sci-fi movie you did together? It was like Mega Gator versus... Yeah, yeah, Mega Python versus Gatoroid. You got to have like a cat fight scene sort of to play up, you know, with a nod and a wink to these preconceptions about your supposed rivalry. I need to hear about, did you use stunt doubles? Did you actually hurt each other? Oh my God, I know that scene goes on and on and on. It's like, okay, (laughs) some male executive masterminds dreamt this up to see me and Tiffany, like, you know, in hot dresses, whipped cream, fan kicking over tables. I mean, slapping each other. Like, you know, the slap was real. I was like, I can't slap her. We were giggling the whole time because, you know, you would think like at some point our collaboration would have been musical. You know, okay, we're going to we're going to write this amazing song together and do all this. We were like, no, this is the opportunity of presenting itself. And it's too kitschy and funny and cool to pass it up. And my, you know, my exact words to my agent were, I was like, what is this going to ruin the movie career I don't have? Yeah, let's do it. So, I, you know, that was one of these, like, it's fun being me moments. But Tiff and I were giggling so hard the entire time. We did have stunt doubles. It was like we were trading off. Yeah, we weren't doing like, you know, the, the backflips, but we were doing a lot of it. And so like, you know, we were ducked under a table and the doubles would take over. Anyway, <laughs> it was, but we were just under. They're like, what is happening? It was amazing. I specifically remember that moment giggling. <laughs> amazing, amazing. So would there ever be a chance, though, that the two of you would collaborate musically? I know you were on. Were you on the mixtape tour together with New Kids? Yeah, we were. We were. I mean, there weren't many. The only duet that happened was me and Joey Mack. So mm-hmm. she and I didn't collaborate, but I wouldn't rule that out. I wouldn't, you know, I'm open to everything. I mean, I think she and I are musically quite different. I almost like, I wonder what it would be like if like, she wrote me a song and I wrote her a song. Like, hey, this is my vision for you. And she went, this is my vision for you. Like, I think that would be kind of interesting because I actually like, I do have a vision for her in the kind of mm. country pop. Again, I go Bonnie Raitt in my head. I go Winona. I go like, there's some women that just like their power and the, you know, there's a melodic sensibility. And mm-hmm. so that could be interesting. You never know. You never know. There can't That'd be a be awesome. sequel to the Python movie, spoiler alert, because Ooh. I don't live to oh. see this. So it'd have to be a prequel. <laughs> it's science fiction. They could figure out a way to resurrect you. Yes, my dismembered parts could magically come back together. But more seriously, <laughs> I'd love to see that thing you just proposed happen. I don't think a lot of people know that Tiffany actually started off as a country singer mm-hmm. before she made the move to be like the queen of the malls, the mall pop thing. So I would love to see that. It'd be a sore return to her roots in more ways than one. But you mentioned Joey McIntyre. You did do a duet with him on the mixtape tour. He also is on your album doing Lost in Your Eyes ballad mm-hmm. remake duet remake on the body remembers yeah. and he also you did a residency together in vegas we did it was such a blast i want to do it again he knows that he's doing like 50 shows because he just turned 50 and i'm like so if we did like eight more together would that count as like half shows or whole yeah. shows? so it's in the it's it's been it's being thrown around so we'll see if that could happen i i would love that he and i on stage together it's the connection through music that people have on a stage. It's very powerful. It's why there are so many showmances in theater. But like that connection, because we have our, like you talked about our individual history, like not many people have walked that teen pop icon, whatever you want to call us, path 
at that time, starting at that age. And so there's just this like understanding of that and each other that we have. And to play that out on stage in front of the audience was really magical. You've called him your kindred musical spirit. I think you called him that in an interview or in a press release. I have that quote down and, you know. Pop soulmate, we call each other. Getting to do Carnegie Hall with him was unbelievable. He invited me to do a few songs there. You know, he's so generous as a performer too. Like he, like it was his night. I'm just like, I'm there for you. If you need me at soundcheck for three hours because you don't know your schedule, like I'm there. That's how I roll. But he was like, is this the first time you're getting to play Lost in Your Eyes in Carnegie Hall? Like he's very, he throws a spotlight to, you know, whoever he's working with, which is always so lovely. And then we did Heartbreak Holiday on the, on my holiday record, Winterlicious. And that was the first time we wrote a song together. Wow. He's not as known as a songwriter, but he's a songwriter. He's got ideas rolling all the time. And that was a magical collab too. I was sitting right at that piano and a call we were on rolled into a FaceTime writing session and we knocked it out. (laughs) That's so cool. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about new kids and in a broader thing as well as new edition, because, you know, we were talking about how Tiffany covered Tommy James and she also covered the Beatles. Obviously she had a big hit with, I saw him standing there. You come Mm -hmm. from a school of, you know, loving people like Leslie Gore and Carol King. And then, mm-hmm. you know, Maurice Starr, who put together New Edition and then kind of put together, like, I'm using Joey McIntyre's words from an interview I did. He, Maurice wanted to make Lightning Strike again with kind of like a white version of New Edition. I was emulating all of that in my studio on my four track. But see, that's what's so cool. The point I was sort of getting at when I was talking about like how you and your peers had these old school references. I don't know if you got credit for that. Like a lot of the boy bands in general get dismissed. Because, you know, they don't play instruments or they, you know, are put together by a manager. They're not a quote unquote real band or whatever. And people say that about young artists like yourself and Tiffany. Oh, like they, you know, they make assumptions. But like particularly with New Kids and New Edition and, and what Maurice Starr had in mind when he was putting them together, they completely descend from a tradition of. Motown, Jackson 5, The Temptations, The Miracles, Doo-Wop, you know, it, Boys to Men as well. They, I don't think they were teens when they came up, but they were pretty right, young. Four Seasons and all of these groups. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I don't think that that or some of the things you've name checked or even Tiffany, who obviously was in the 80s, it probably introducing a lot of young people to Tommy James. I will fully admit that I did not know I think we're alone now. Before I heard her mm-hmm. sing it, I, I was, right, too, right. I, I completely found out about who Dami James was through her and also through Joan Jett and, and Billy Idol, the Beatles I knew, but a lot of people I don't think give credit for the fact that the teen idols of the eighties were part of a larger tradition. And certainly the boy bands were part of a tradition. I agree. It's like, right. It's never a bad thing to have a new group, but the thing I, I do love about, I mean, and I think, I, I think new addition too. I mean, I felt like, I don't know historically, like was new edition, much like new kids, like there were friendships already. And, you know, Jordan's like, let me get my brother, John. And <laughs> there yeah. was already like a relationship between a couple of them in like groupings. And I don't know if that was the case with new edition or not, but it feels cohesive. It doesn't feel as thrown together as like, I mean, listen, like the original Menudo, I think felt kind of cohesive, but of course they kept replacing members and then, even with some of like the dance girl groups I was doing track dates with at a certain point, I was like, Oh, they have a new lead singer. They have a new, they were like trading out members. 
But like New Kids has always been New Kids. New Edition's always been New Edition. And there were amazing solo careers that came out of both of those groups as well. And everyone's got a distinctive personality. And Johnny Gill, I mean, like I remember his solo moment. And Elbiv DeVoe were as big as New Edition. They had Poison. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that was a, that's a huge, you put on Poison in a club and the club to and this day rocks. Such a good song. Yeah, I mean, it's so good. Yeah, so... They were meant to be here and, 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 and in the landscape, for sure. You know, I live in Vegas. All those groups you just named, it's like, I feel like I still see the temptations on a billboard every morning. Again, I don't know who, which members are in there anymore. But yeah, I mean, look, girls need their boy bands. Mm-hmm. Girls need their teen idol girls. They mm-hmm. always have. They always will. You know, they need their Sean Cassidy's and, and all of it. You know, there'll always be like a faction of the snobby people in the, the music world that's always going to be cynical about those acts. And I am glad though that that feels like it's changed or is changing. It I is. Mean, it has. That's the thing. People are like, they're not as fixated on age. You know, again, like Olivia Rodrigo, she's just a great artist. I don't care how old she is. Mm-hmm. And if a, if an adult's going to be snobby about her music, in my opinion, well, then they're missing out. They're missing out on, on experiencing a great album. 100%. And I always felt like that, but it's hard when you're the artist to say that to people. Especially when you're that young. I mean, you obviously were pretty headstrong for your age, you know, in terms of being able to get your way with all the record labels who probably doubted whether they should entrust you to write and produce and record your own material at such a young age. So you might maybe were a little more confident than some other artists your age, but at the same time, you know, you don't want to be branded in the press when you're talking to Tiger Beat or whoever you'd be doing an interview with that you're nowadays, it would be great. You know, if Billie Eilish or whoever does an interview talking about how she's taken a stand against misogyny or whatever, and we'll be like, you go, Billie Eilish. That's great. A little bit different then, I would imagine. I don't know. You, you tell me you were the, you were there. No, it's true. And even now, listen, even now, like, again, that's why, you know, when Sam and Justin sang my praises, I was like, thank you, because I can't come out and go, I did that first. Like that, that does not feel good. That doesn't look good perception wise. Mm. I sit back and in a place of confidence and empowerment and with perspective, because I know what I did. I did it. I did it. I was there and I know how it went down. And I know, again, I know who did it before me. So I don't say it from a place of ego. I did it. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. They did it, then I did it, now they're doing it. Like I said, you're part of a larger tradition. Really quick, though, you mentioned Minuto and the rotating and the swapping out of members. I just think that's almost like cruel to like bring in people whose brains are still developing or teenagers, yeah. have them have this good life and then be like, oh, sorry, you turned 18, there's the door, bye. And even if they knew it was coming, when you join a band when you're like 14 or something, 18 probably seems kind of far away. You're not thinking about how this will be over. I mean, can you imagine... I can't imagine that's such a head trip. And, you know, thank God, when you, again, when you take a, a group like New Kids, they've turned into sexy, vital men mm-hmm. who, like, they can weirdly still get away with kids in the name of their group because they look better than a lot of lazy 30-year-olds I see walk around. Yeah, no, they look amazing. They're like, you know, they don't show any signs of, peaking in my eyes and i'm sure their fans would agree the beauty of now is like with tiktok i could have a song off the body remembers that in a month or a year or five years goes viral for some crazy reason that i have nothing to do with if i just kind of keep things going and stay in the game and then suddenly you're back you're the story you're 
And I always look at the examples, you know, always bring up Tina Turner playing stadiums at 50. Kate Bush, get one of your songs in Stranger Things. I know. But again, you could be working on that and that doesn't work. Somebody has to have the idea and reach out and license the song and all the stuff. So I always just go universe. Yes, let that happen. That would be amazing. And, you know, me and my team are proactive, but you can't force a viral moment and you force that to happen with a song on a on a soundtrack or in a, in a modern current show. But it happens is my point. I, I'm the anything is possible girl. Debbie, I mean, there's so many more questions I want to ask you. There's so much more to get into. Is it possible that we could make this a two part conversation? I could invite you to come back. A thousand percent. Yeah, I I could talk on this subject literally for hours. So I'm in. Well, I may hold you to that. But in the meantime, we're going to take a break. But we will be back next time with part two with Debbie Gibson on Totally 80s. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Make sure to give Totally 80s a rate and review on your favorite podcast platform. And Debbie and I will catch you next time. This was Totally 80s the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Totally80s and please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Until our next episode, catch you on the flip side. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.